Section 15 of The Pastor's Wife by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 15. He ceased to be revived. He smoked in silence. The effect on her of Italy was as surprising as it was unexpected. At Kokensee she had been entirely concentrated on him, eagerly listening only to him, drinking in only what he said, worshipping. Here she seemed possessed by a rage for any sights and sounds merely because they were new. There had been moments from the very start in Berlin when he almost felt of secondary interest, and they appeared to be coming permanent. It was disturbing, it was incredible, it was grotesque. Perhaps it would be as well to take her away from the lakes, from all that part of the country which apparently caught her imagination on its most sensitive side. Perhaps Milan for a while, with pavements and museums. Please, will you give me some of that money? she asked, across his reflections. Which money? he said, looking at her. My money. What on earth for? I want to send Robert a picture postcard. He threw his cigarette away. It would be most improper, he said, passing his hand rapidly over his hair. Highly improper. Improper? she echoed, staring at him. To send Robert a picture postcard? Grossly, it simply isn't done. What? Not send Robert, but he'd like to see where we've got to. For heaven's sake, don't talk about Robert, he exclaimed, getting up quickly. The idea of the picture postcard profoundly shocked him. Not talk about him? she repeated, staring at him in astonishment. But he's my husband. Exactly. That's what makes him so improper. What? Why, I thought husbands were just the very thing that never could be improper. Ingeborg, he said, walking angrily up and down in front of her, are you or are you not being taken care of on this, this holiday by me? Are you or are you not travelling with me? Yes, I know, but I don't see why I shouldn't send Ro Well, then, if you don't see, you must believe. You've just got to believe me when I tell you certain things are impossible. But Robert, good heavens, don't talk of Robert. If I beg you not to, if I tell you it spoils things for me, if I ask you as a favour, he stopped in front of her, my dear, my little mate, my everything that's central and alive among the husks. Of course I won't, then. At least I'll try to remember not to, she said, looking at him with a smile that had effort in it as well as surprise. But I don't see why a picture postcard. The steamer they had seen for so long, the last one of the day from Arona to Locarno, was nearing the pier, and the piazza suddenly swarmed with busy groups preparing to go on it or see each other off. "'Let's come away,' said Ingram impatiently. "'Let's come away,' he repeated with a stamp of his foot. "'I hate this crowd.' She got up and walked beside him towards the hotel, her eyes on the ground. "'I really can't see why I shouldn't send Robert,' she began. "'Oh, damn Robert!' he exclaimed violently. She looked at him. "'Damn Robert?' she echoed, immensely surprised. "'But don't you like Robert?' "'No,' said Ingram. "'No. 
he said even louder. Not here, not now. Now don't, he added, in extreme irritation, as he saw her mouth opening. Ask me why. Don't ask me to explain. Go to bed, Ingeborg. It's time. All children under ten were in bed. And get up early, please, because we're going to start the first thing for... Anyhow, for somewhere else. Chapter 34 Ingram was not only a great painter, he was practised in minor accomplishments, and among them was the art of running away. He had done it several times, and had attained fluency. Indeed, so easy had practice made it, that it grew to be hardly running so much as walking. He walked away, at last quite leisurely from an uncommenting wife to a lady whose affection for him was invariably already so great that there was nothing left for it to do but to decline, and when it had declined, assisted and encouraged in various ways by him, the chief cooling factor being his expressed impatience to get to his painting again undisturbed by non-essentials, each lady found it cooling to be called a non-essential. He avoided the part that is sometimes a little difficult, the part in which recriminations are apt to gather like clouds about a sunset, the part that lies round ends, by skilful treatment, by a gradual surrounding of her, who was now not so much a lover as a patient, with an atmosphere of affection for her home. She came by imperceptible degrees to thirst for her home. She came to thirst, and such was his skill, that she thirsted healthily for her husband, or her father, or whoever it was she had left, for worries, catastrophes, disgrace, for anything, so long as it was so obliging as not to be love. If poorer in other ways, she departed at least richer in philosophy, without a trace of jealousy of what he might do next, not minding what he did, if only she did not have to do it, too, and he, until such time as he again was lured from paths of austerity and work by the hope that he had found the one predestined mate, enjoyed the condition in which he was altogether happiest, the freedom of spirit that disdains love. But how different from those comfortable excursions, as straightforward and as uneventful to him in their transitory salubrious warming as bread and milk, was this running away. It was distressingly different. Almost, except that he had no desire to laugh, ridiculously different. The first step, the process of the actual removal from Kökensee to Berlin, from legality to illicitness, had, in its smoothness, been positively glib, and he had supposed that, once alone together, love-making, which was the very marrow of running away, else why run, would follow with similar glibness. Nothing, however, seemed less inclined to follow. The only things that did follow were too confused, exasperating days in which his moods varied with every hour almost at last with everything she said the capaciousness of her beliefs and acceptances amazed him they were as capacious as her enthusiasms 
she believed so firmly what he had told her over there away in Kokensee, where of course a man had to say things in order to get a beginning made about the friendly frequent journeyings of other people she had so heartily accepted his assurance that it was absurd and disgraceful in its suggestion of evil-mindedness not to travel frankly anywhere with anybody are we not children of light you and i he had asked her the things a man says he thought but they should not be brought up against him in this manner clad in an invincible armour of acceptance and shall we be hindered in our free comings and goings by the dingy scruples of those heavy others the groping and afraid children of darkness that plainly the idea that she was doing anything even remotely wrong had not occurred to her the basis of her holiday was this belief in frank companionship she had no difficulty he observed himself infinitely fretted by this constant closeness to her in being just a frank companion she was so carelessly secure in friendship so empty of any thought beside that she could and did say things to him which said by any other woman in the same situation would have instantly led to love-making but ingram who was fastidious could no more make love to her violently begin robustly stand no nonsense so long as she was steeped in obliviousness than he could to a child or a chair there must be some response some consciousness her obtuseness to the real situation was so terribly healthy-minded that it was almost a disease the awful candour of soul of bishops daughters and pastors wives appalled him for three days the weather continued heavy pressing down on his eyes he did not sleep he was all nerves in the morning a time he had not yet known her in for at kokensee they were together only in the afternoons she produced the effect on him of someone different and in some subtle annoying way strange was it because she flickered more in the mornings he could not describe it better than that she flickered she always flickered mentally her thoughts just giving each subject a little lick and then blowing off it to something else but in the afternoons and evenings the flickering was often beautiful or at those warmer more indulgent hours it seemed so and in the morning it was not a man in the morning wants somebody pinned down for a companion somebody reasonable and fixed nothing but a rather silent reasonableness and if enunciations are unavoidable brief ones go well with coffee and with rolls at breakfast he found he could hardly speak to her so exceedingly then was she on his nerves her dreadful healthy restedness when he had been tossing all night her fearful readiness for the new day when he had not even begun to recover from the old one her regularity of enthusiasm her punctual happiness and every evening he was in love with her he was exasperated this being with her among the hills and lakes of italy that he had thought of 
as going to be the sweetest time he had known was sheer exasperation for even in the evenings when he was in love with her the condition indeed set in at any time from tea onwards and could on occasion be induced before tea if she happened to say the right things he was irritably in love and hardly knew whether it would give him more satisfaction to shake her or to kiss her and annoying and perplexing as her untroubled conscience was it was yet not so annoying and perplexing as her wild joy in italy who would not be galled by the discovery that he had become a background who would have supposed that she who in kokensee thought him so wonderful so clearly realized who he was who walked with him there in the rye fields and offered him every sort of incense that sweet words could invent would let loose in italy take the background he had so carefully chosen for his love-making and hug it to her heart and be absorbed in it and adore it beyond reason and that he himself would turn into the background incredible as it seemed into just the background of his own background when he took her up into the hills into solitary places where the chestnut woods went on for miles and no one ever came but charcoal burners he was not as it were there when he took her on the lake in a sailing-boat and they hung motionless on the goodwill of the wind he was not there either when they rested after a hot climb deep in some high meadow not yet reached by the ascending haymakers and through the stalks of its bee-haunted flowers its delicate bending scabious and frail ragged robins could see little bits of lake far below and the white villages on the mountains opposite and the whole world was only asking to be made a frame of for love where he inquired of himself in the picture that was in her mind and irradiating her eyes was he he had not imagined so far behind him were his own discoveries of the new that any one could be so greedily absorbed watching her while she watched everything except him he decided he would take her to milan he would try something ugly milan this heavy hot weather ought to give her back to him if anything would they would stay in a street where there were tram-cars and noises and they would frequent museums they would walk much on pavements and have their food in english tea-rooms while the cure was in progress she might be getting herself some decent clothes for really her clothes were distressing and when it was accomplished and she was thoroughly bored with things and had come back to being aware of him he would carry her off to venice and begin work work the best thing in life the one thing that keeps on yet is never monotonous the supreme thing always new and joyful but he was afraid of venice venice was too beautiful she would not sit quiet there while he painted her she would want to go out and look impossible to take her there until she had learned to blot out everything in the world with his image alone 
this blotting out he perceived would have to be achieved in milan and quickly he was starving for his work so acute was his hunger to begin the great picture that right underneath all his other emotions and wishes and moods was a violent impatience at being kept from it by what his subconsciousness alluded to with resentful incorrectness as a parcel of women it was the evening at luino that he definitely decided on milan they had walked that day along the wooded paths that led ultimately across to ponte tressa and she had once again on returning to luino and seeing a revolving column of picture postcards outside a tobacconist's shop and catching sight of some that showed the place of rocks and falling water in which they had eaten their luncheon wanted to send one to robert she had not said so but she had hovered round the column looking hungry picture postcards seemed to have a dreadful fascination for her and as for ingram the mere sight of them at this point of their journey made him see red he had instantly observed her hungry hovering and had flared out into a leaping rebuke in which there was more of the angry schoolmaster than the lover he had felt it himself and seen quick as he was to see a little look of surprised and questioning fear for a moment in her eyes well it's because you're always thinking of robert he flashed at her in an attempt that caught fire on the way to apologize not always she said hesitatingly with a smile that for the first time was propitiating and the accidents of the pavement making him walk for a few yards in front of her she found herself looking at his back his high thin shoulders and the rims of his ears with a startled feeling of entire strangeness a dim thought rose and disappeared again somewhere in the back of her mind a whisper of a thought hardly breathed and gone again i'm used to robert he took her to milan next day that loud and sweltering city was by its hot dullness to bore her into awareness of him to toss her by sheer elimination of other interests to his breast inexorably he kept her on the steamer and turned a deaf ear to her prayers that they might land when it stopped at attractive villages on its journey down the lake she thought this unreasonable for why come at all to these lovely places come so close that one could almost touch them and then whisk away and hardly let one look and she could not help feeling after he had been short with her about the borromean islands at one of which unfortunately the steamer touched that it would be both blessed and splendid to travel round here alone free able to get out at islands if one wanted to yes those are islands he said when first they loomed on her enraptured gaze yes one can land on them but we're not going to yes yes beautiful but we've got to catch the train she began to turn a slightly perplexed attention to him surely he was different from what he was at kokensee 
and there were the Boromian islands slipping away, the beautiful islands. There they were being passed, going out of her life. It was unlikely she would ever see them again. To Ingram, on that leaden afternoon, the lake looked like a coffin, and the islands as dull and shabby as three nails in it. To Ingeborg, they looked like three little miracles of God, just as he who, for the first time, goes abroad, would give up Rome if he might stop at Calais. So did Ingeborg hanker after detailed exploration of new places she was inexorably whisked away from. The Boromian islands were beautiful, but if they had been dull, she still would have hankered after them. Beautiful or dull, they were different from Kokensee, and when the travelled Ingram put his hopes in Milan, he did not realize how great on Ingeborg, after her strictly cloistered Kokensee existence, was the effect of the merely different. The platform at Arona, the flat fields the train presently lumbered across, the factories and suburbs of Milan, the noisy streets throbbing heavily with heat that grey and lowering afternoon, the shapes of things, of dull things, of tram-cars and cabs and washerwomen, the shop-windows, the behaviour and foreign faces of dogs, the behaviour of children, the Italian eyes all turned to her, all staring at her. They fascinated and absorbed her like the development of a vivid dream. Who were these people? What would they all do next? What were they feeling, thinking, saying? Where were they going? What had they had for breakfast? What were the rooms like they had just come out of? What sorts of things did they keep in their cupboards? If one of them would lend me a cupboard, she exclaimed to Ingram, and leave me alone with what it has got inside, I believe I'd know all Italy by the time I'd done with it. Everything, everything, the desires of its soul and its body, and what it works at and plays at and eats, and what it hopes is going to happen to it after it is dead. And he had been supposing, from her silence as she walked beside him, that she was finding Milan dull. Hastily he led her away from the streets into an English tea-room, and made her sit with her back to the window, and gave her rusks. But though her childhood had been spent among these objects, which were esteemed at the palace because falling just short at the last moment of quite sweetness and quite niceness they discouraged sinful gorging, they had none of their ancient sobering effect on her there in Milan. She ate them and ate them, and remained as brightly detached from them as before. Their dryness choked out none of her lively interest. Their reminiscent flavour did not quiet her, not even when combined, as it presently was, with the sound of church-bells floating across the roofs. She might have been at Redchester, with those Sunday bells ringing and all the rusks. Sitting opposite to her at the marble-topped table, in the deserted shop, Ingram decided he would give her no meals more amusing than this in Milan. 
So long as she kept him there, she should, except breakfast, have all her meals in that one place. Modest meals, meals damping to the spirits, and surely in the long run lowering, the most inflaming dish provided by the tea-room being, it announced on its wall, poached eggs. He kept her there as long as he could, long after the tea was cold, and tried, so deeply upset was he becoming by the delays her curious immaturity was causing in the normal development of running away, actually in that place of buns to make love to her. But how difficult it was. He, too, had eaten rusks. He wanted to tell her he adored her, and it reached her across the teapot in the form of comments on the uncertainties of her behavior. He wanted to tell her her body was as delicate as flowers and delightful as dawn, and it came out a criticism of the quality, also the quantity, of her enthusiasms. He endeavored to sing the praise of the inmost core of her, the inexpressible illuminating understanding and holy sweet core, and instead he found himself acidly deprecating her clothes. Ingeborg sat listening with half an ear, and eyes bright with longing to be out in the streets again. She was fidgeting to get away from the shop, and was sorry he should choose just that moment to smoke so great a number of cigarettes. Even the young lady who guarded the cakes appeared to think the visit for one based only on tea and rusks had lasted long enough and came and cleared away and inquired in english it being her native tongue whether she could not now get them anything else the curious admixture in you said ingram starting out with the intention of comparing her to light in the darkness and immediately getting off the rails the curious admixture in you of streaks of childishness and spasmodic maturity you are at one moment so entirely impulsive and irresponsible and a moment before you were quite intelligent and reasonable and a moment afterwards you are splendid in courage and recklessness when was i splendid in courage and recklessness she asked bringing more attention to bear on him when you left your home to come to me the start-off was splendid who could dream it would fizzle out into well into this but has it fizzled out you're not she leaned across the table a little anxiously you're not scolding me on the contrary i'm trying to tell you all you are to me oh said ingeborg i intend somehow to isolate my consciousness of your streaks streaks as beeswax up a dead invader oh a dead invader i don't you see believe in the damning effects of one specific outbreak nor of one or two you're not you're not really scolding me she asked again a little anxiously on the contrary i'm believing in and clinging to your dear innermost oh said ingeborg i believe these streaks and patches and spots your superficial self has may be good in their ultimate effect may save us by interrupting from those two serene spells that dog's ear love with usage and carelessness 
She gazed at him, her mouth a little open. He lit yet another cigarette. But it's rather like, he said, flinging the match away into the corner, whither the young lady followed it, and with a pursed reproachfulness trod it out. It's rather like finding a crock of gold in one's garden, and only being able to peep at it sometimes, and having to go away and work very hard for eleven shillings a week. She went on gazing at him in silence. And not even for eleven shillings, said Ingram, reflecting on all he had already endured. Work very hard for nothing. She leant across the table again. I never mean to be tiresome, she said. Little star, he said stoutly. It's always involuntary, my tiresomeness, she said, addressing him earnestly. Oh, but it's so involuntary, and the dull surfaces I know I have, and the scaly imperfections. He knocked the ashes off his cigarette with unnecessary vigor, almost as though they were bits of an annoying relative's body. I'm warped and encrusted and blundering, went on Ingeborg, who was always thorough when it came to adjectives. In his irritable state, to have her abjectly cheapening herself vexed him as much as everything else she had done that day had vexed him. He might, under provocation, point out her weaknesses, but she must not point them out to him. He wanted to worship him, and she persisted in preventing him, distressing to have a god who refuses to sit quiet on its pedestal, who insists on skipping off it to show you its shortcomings, and beg your pardon. How could he make love to her if she talked like this? It would be like trying to make love to a prayer book. Is it because it's Sunday, he said, that you are impelled to acknowledge and confess your faults? You make me feel as if a verger had passed by and pushed me into a pew. Well, but I am warped and encrusted and blundering, she persisted. You are not, he said irritably. Haven't I told you you are my star and my miracle? Yes, but... I tell you, he said, determined to believe it, that you are the very bath of my tired spirit. How kind you are, she said. You're as kind to me as if you were my brother. Sometimes I think you are rather like my brother. I never had a brother, but you're very like, I think, the one I would have had if I had had one. She warmed to the idea. I feel as if my brother, she said, preparing to launch into enthusiasm, but he interrupted her by getting up. It seems waste, he said, reaching for his hat, to talk about your brother, as you've never had him. Shall we go? She jumped up at once with the air of one released. He himself could not any longer endure the tea-room, or he would have stayed in it. Gloomily he went out with her into the streets again, and noted that if anything she seemed more active and eager than before, thoroughly indeed rested and refreshed. Gloomily he realized, during the next hour or two, that she had an eye for buildings, and that they were always the wrong ones. Gloomily he discovered an odd liking in her for anything, however bad, that was wrought in iron. 
he could not get her past some of the iron gates of the palaces. He hated bad gates. Without experience, she could not compare and did not select, and her interest was all-embracing, indiscriminating as a child. He took pains to avoid the Piazza del Duomo, but by some accident of a twisting street and momentary inattentiveness he did find himself at last, after much walking as he had thought away from it, all of a sudden facing it. Urging her on by her elbow, he hurried her nervously across it, hoping she would not see the cathedral. But the cathedral being difficult not to see, she did see it, and remained as he had feared she would, rooted. Ingeborg, he exclaimed, if you tell me you like that, oh, let me look, let me look, she cried, holding his sleeve while he tried to get her away. It's so funny. It's so different. Ingeborg, he almost begged. But from its outside to its inside was an inevitable step, and that she should gasp on first getting in seemed also, after she had done it, inevitable. Ingram found himself sightseeing, looking at windows following her down vaults towed by beetles. He rubbed his hand violently over his hair. "'But this is intolerable,' he cried aloud to himself. "'I shall go mad.' And he strode after her, and caught her arm, just as she was disappearing over the brim of the crypt. "'Ingeborg,' he said, his eyes blazing at her in a bright astonishment, "'do you mean to tell me that I shall not reach you? "'That I'm not going to get ever at you till I paint you?' She turned in the gloom and looked up at him. "'Oh, I know I'll get you then,' he said on, excitedly, while the interrupted beetle impatiently rattled his keys. "'Nothing can hide you away from me then. I don't paint, you see, by myself.' She stared up at him. "'And all this you're doing, all this waste of running about, have you then forgotten the picture?' It was as though he had shaken her suddenly awake. She stared at him in a shock of recollection. Why, of course, the picture! Why, incredible! But she had forgotten it, actually forgotten it in the wild excitement of travelling. Actually she had been wanting to linger at each new place. She who had only ten days altogether, she who had come only after all because of the picture, the great picture, the first really great thing that had touched her life and here she was with him, its waiting creator, dragging him about who held future beauty in his cunning guided hand among all the mixed stuff left as a burden on the generations by the past, curious about the stuff with an uneducated stupid curiosity, wasting time, ridiculously blocking the way to something great, to the greatest of the achievements of a great artist. She was sobered, she was overcome by the vivid recognition of her cheap enthusiasm. Oh, she said, staring up at him, wide awake, entirely ashamed, how patient you've been with me. And as he still held her by the arm, his eyes blazing down at her from the top step of the crypt, 
she could find no way of expressing her shame and contrition except by bending her head and laying her cheek on his hand chapter thirty five they stood there for what seemed to the beadle at the bottom an intolerable time the lady evidently nobody certificated with her cheek on the gentleman's hand and he himself as honest a man as ever wanted to get his tip and be done with it kept waiting with nothing to do but curse and rattle his keys and though it was summer the crypt was cold and so would his feet be soon and what could the world be coming to when people carried their caressings even into crypts becoming maddened by these delays the beadle cursed them both their present past and future roundly and thoroughly and also profanely for by the accident of his calling he was very perfect in profanity beneath his breath i'm so sorry so sorry ingeborg was murmuring who did nothing by halves neither penitence nor humility nor gratitude my worshipped child whispered ingram immensely moved by this swift change in her and changed as swiftly himself by the softness of her cheek against his hand oughtn't we to go to venice to-night she asked still standing in that oddly touching attitude of apology not to-night but how can a picture get painted in just that little time ah but you know i am good at pictures but i can't stay a minute longer than thursday i have to be back on saturday at the very latest you'll see it will all be quite easy but to think that i forgot the picture she said looking up at him shocked while the ancient humility in which the bishop had so carefully trained her descended on her once more only fourfold this time like a garment grown voluminous since last it was put on they had for some reason been talking in murmurs and the embittered beadle losing his self-control began to say things audibly strong in the knowledge of tourist ignorance when it came to real language in italian he said exactly what he thought and what he thought was so monstrous so inappropriate to beadles and to the atmosphere of a crypt besides being so extremely and personally rude that it roused ingram who knew italian almost better than the beadle for his included scholarly byways in vituperation strange and curious twists beyond the reach of the uneducated to pour a sudden great burning blast of red-hot contumely down on his head and having done this he turned and holding ingeborg's hand led her up the steps again leaving the beadle at the bottom solitary shriveled and singed they thought no more of crypts and beadles they looked neither to the right nor to the left ingram held her by the hand all the way down the cathedral and the piazza when they came out on to it with its crowds of vociferating men and bell-ringing tramcars and sellers of souvenirs seemed to ingeborg nothing now but a noisy irrelevance whole strips of postcards were 
thrust unnoticed into her face. The purpose of her journey was the picture, marvellous that she should have lost sight of it, and of the wonder and pride of being needed for it, needed at last for anything she who so profoundly had longed to be needed, but needed for this as a collaborator actually, even though passive and humble, in the creation of something splendid. He put her into a cab, and drove with her away from the fuss and din. She was exquisite again to him, adorable altogether. The memory of the fret and hot irritation of the day was wiped out, as though it had never been by that other memory of her sweet apology on the steps of the crypt. He told the driver, for it was towards evening, to take them to those gardens described by the guide-book as probably the finest public park in Italy. And presently, as they walked together in the remoter parts, the dusk dropped down like a curtain between them and the Sunday night crowd collecting round the fountains. Tall trees and clumps of box and rose bushes shut out everything except mystery. And she in that quiet place of trickling water and dim flowers began again to talk to him as she had talked at Kokensee, softly, deliciously, and about nothing except himself. It was like the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. It was infinite refreshment and relief. She talked about the picture with reverence, adoringly. She told him how, in the rush of new impressions, she had been forgetting everything that really mattered, not only that greatest of them all, but the other thing she had to thank him for besides. Italy, her unexpected holiday, do so entirely to him. She said, her husky voice softer than ever with gratitude, you have been giving me happiness and happiness. You've heaped happiness on me with both your hands, she said, reaching only for words that should be sweet enough. Do you know I could cry to think of it all? Of all you've been to me since you came to Kokensee, when I'm back there again, this time with you will be like a hidden precious stone, and when I'm stupid and thinking that life is dull, I'll get it out and look at it, and it will flash color and light at me. When you talk like that, said Ingram, greatly stirred, it is as though a little soul had come back into a deserted and forgotten body. Is it? she murmured, so glad that she could please him, perfectly melted into the one desire to make up. When you talk like that, he said, life becomes a thing so happy that it shines golden inside. You have the soul I have always sought, the thing that comes through me like light through a stained-glass window, so that I am lit, so that my heart is all sweet fire. And you, said Ingeborg, picking up his image as she so often irritatingly did, only now it did not irritate him, and flinging it back with a fresh adornment, the thought of you, the memory of you, when I've gone back to my everyday life, will be like a perfect rose window in a grey wall, as though we could be separated again, 
as though being in love with somebody miles away isn't just intolerable ache oh my dear why do you look at me he asked with a large simplicity of manner that made her ashamed of her surprise because i talk of being in love why shouldn't two people simply love each other and say so and if i love you it isn't with the greedy possessive love i've had for women before but as though the feeling one has for the light on crystals or for the clear shining after rain the feeling of beauty in deep and delicate things has become personified and exalted she made a little deprecating gesture he was almost too kind to her too kind but nobody could reasonably object to being loved like crystals and clearness after rain robert couldn't possibly mind that she cast about for things to say back shining things to matches but he found them all first it was impossible to keep up with him you are delicate and fine like translucent gold he said and you are brave and various and alive and you are full of sweet little fancies little swirls of mood kind eager things never in my life is there the remotest chance that i shall meet so good and deep a happiness as you again and i put my heart once and for all between your dear cool little hands she felt bent beneath this generosity she who had been so tiresome and not only tiresome but she who had had doubts unworthy ones she now saw round about breakfast time for instance piercing through her silly delight in italy as to whether she was giving even any satisfaction i perceive he went on i've never really loved before i've played with dolls and expressed myself to dummies like a boy with a ball he must play with and failing a playfellow he bumps it against a wall and catches it again but you play back my living dear heart more and more was she invaded by a happy surprise the things she had been doing without knowing it all the right ones apparently the whole time playing back coming up to his expectations and moments such as those at the Boromian islands and when there were picture postcards and just recently in the tea-room had not in the least been what she supposed she had not understood she glowed to think that she had not understood i've been so wearied and distressed with life he went on talking in a low-moved voice it has seemed at last such an old hairy thing of jealousies and shame and disillusionments and work falling short of its best and endless coming and going of people and me forever left with a blunted edge and now you come you and are like a great sweet wind blowing across it and like clear skies and a moon rising before sunset it is as though you had taken up a brush and painted out the old ugly tangles and made a new picture of me in luminous clear watercolour her surprise grew and grew 
and her gladness that she had been mistaken. Those streaks, she thought, he didn't really mean what he said about those streaks. Somehow, though quite intelligent all along, continued Ingram, I've been shallow and hard in my feelings about everything. Now I feel love like a deep soft river flowing through my heart. I love everyone because I love you. I can set out to make people happy. I can do and say fine and generous things because of the love of you shining in my heart. That beetle, she thought, he didn't really mean what he said to that beetle. You're what I've been looking for in women all my life, he went on. You're the dream come true. I've only tried to love before, and now you've come and made me love, which we all dream of doing, and giving me love, which we all dream of getting. Her pleasure became tinged with a faint uneasiness, for she wouldn't have thought, left to herself, that she had been giving him love. Pastors' wives didn't give love except to their pastors. Friendship, yes, she had given him warm friendship and an abject admiration of his gifts and pride and gratefulness oh such pride and gratefulness that he should like being with her and saying lovely things to her but love she had supposed love was reserved for lovers well if he liked to call it love one must not be missish it was very kind of him it was also more and more wonderful to her that she had been doing and being and giving all these things without knowing it. Her suddenly discovered accomplishments staggered her. Is it possible, she thought with amazement, that I'm clever? And as if he had heard the word, lovers in her mind, he said it. Other lovers, he said, are engaged perpetually in sycophantic adaptations in what she thought he was going to say engaged to be married for though she had known even in redchester in spite of the care taken to shut such knowledge out that the world included wicked persons who loved without engagements or marriages sometimes indeed even without having been properly introduced persons who were afterwards punished by the correctly plighted by not being asked to tea they were the bishop informed an anxious inquirer once when he had supposed her out of the room in god's infinite mercy numerically negligible but ingram did not heed her except us he went on us she echoed well if one took the word in its widest sense we fit he said we fit and reflect each other I in your heart, you in my heart, like two mirrors that hang opposite one another for ever. A doubt as to the expediency of so much talk of hearts and love crept into her mind, but she quieted it by remembering how much worse the Song of Solomon was, and yet so respectable, really, she said, continuing her thought aloud, and all only about the church. What is so respectable? Come and sit on that seat by the bush covered with roses, he said. Look, in this faint light they are as white and delicate as you. The Song of Solomon. It, 
just happened to come into my head things do she added beginning to lay hold of the first words that occurred to her no longer at her ease she sat down on the edge of the seat where he put her it's stone she said nervously looking up at him for he had taken a step back and was considering her his head on one side do you think it's good for us you beautiful little thing he murmured considering her you exquisite little lover her hands gripped the edge of the seat more tightly a sudden very definite longing for robert seized her oh but she began and faltered she tried again it's so kind of you but you know but i don't think what don't you think my dear my discoverer my creator my restorer oh i know there was solomon she faltered holding on to the seat saying things too and they meant something else but but isn't this different different because well i suppose through my not being the church i'm very sorry she added apologetically that i am not the church because then i suppose nothing would really matter you mean you don't want me to call you lover well i am married she said in the voice of one who apologized for drawing its attention to it there is no getting away from that but we have got away from it said ingram sitting down beside her and loosening the hand nearest him from its tight hold on the seat and kissing it while she watched him in an uneasiness and dismay that now were extreme that's exactly what we have done oh he went on kissing her hand with what seemed to her a quite extraordinary emotion you brave beautiful little thing you must know you can't not know how completely and gloriously you have burned your ships ships she echoed she stared at him a moment then added with a catch in her breath which ships ingeborg ingeborg my fastness my safety my darling my reality my courage said ingram kissing her hand between each word yes she said brushing that aside but which ships my strength my helper friend sister lover unmerited mate yes but won't you leave off a minute it it would be convenient if you'd leave off a minute and tell me which ships he did leave off to look into her eyes in the dusk eyes fixed on him in a concentration of questioning that left his epithets on one side as so much irrelevant lumber little worshipful thing he said still gripping her hand did you really think you could go back did you really think you could go back where to that unworthy rubbish heap kokensee she stared at him their faces close together were white in the dusk and their eyes looking into each other's were like glowing dark patches why should i not think so she said because you little artist in recklessness you have burned your ships she made an impatient movement and he tightened his hold on her hand please she said do you mind telling me about the ships one of them was this was what coming to italy with me you said heaps of people 
Oh, yes, I know, a man has to say things. And the other was writing that letter to Robert. If you'd left it at Boots and Berlin. He laughed triumphantly and kissed her hand again. But that wouldn't have helped either, really, he went on, because directly the ten days were up and you hadn't come back, he'd have known. Hadn't come back? Oh, Ingeborg, little love, little Parsifal among women, dear divine ignorance and obtuseness, I adore you for believing the picture could be done in a week. But you said, oh, yes, yes, I know, a man has to say things at the beginning. What beginning? Of this, of love, happiness, all the wonders of joy we're going to have. Please, do you mind not talking about those other things for a minute? Why do you tell me I can't go back, I can't go home? They wouldn't have you. Isn't it ridiculous? Isn't it glorious? What? Not have me home? They wouldn't have me? Who wouldn't? There isn't a they. I've only got Robert. He wouldn't. After that letter, he couldn't. And Kokensee wouldn't and couldn't. And Glambeck wouldn't and couldn't. And Germany, if you like, wouldn't and couldn't. The whole world gives you to me. You're my mate now forever. She watched him, kissing her hand as though it did not belong to her. She was adjusting a new thought that was pushing its way like a frozen spear into her mind, trying to let it in, seeing she could not keep it out. Among all those happy thoughts so warmly there already about Ingram and her holiday and the kindness and beauty of life, without its too cruelly killing too many of them too quickly, do you mean, she began, then she stopped, because what was the use of asking him what he meant? Quite suddenly she knew. An immense slow coldness, an icy fog, seemed to settle down on her and blot out happiness, all the dear accustomed things of life, the small warm things of quietness and security, the everyday things one nestled up to and knew were sliding away from her. So what? she heard herself saying in a funny clear voice. There's only God. How only God? he asked, looking up at her. Only God left who wouldn't call it adultery. The word in her mouth shocked him. End of section 15